0: Thank you um, to our worship team. I I love this family. I love you guys. I love being here. Um, This is so much fun. I love worshiping with you. Yesterday, actually this weekend, we had the privilege of being at a wedding of um, Bryce and Haley, who some of you may know. They attend here. They were married yesterday. Off today on their honeymoon. It is such a privilege to witness the marriage of two people who are committed to the Lord, two people who really want their marriage to reflect the glory of God, and two families who have come together with that same intent. It was so much fun to be there and to see them as part of our greater La Habra family be married yesterday, and I was thinking that's one of, I think, five weddings within our family in the next five months. Not only that, there are five pending babies that I know of within our family this year and many within the next few months. Our family is growing. Our family is maturing. And as that happens, we get to enjoy that together. And just as I'm here this morning with you, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our family. If you're just visiting with us, we just wanna welcome you into our family and thanks for being here. We're glad that you're here. And we hope that um, this becomes a home for you. We hope that you feel welcome here and that you're excited to come here on Sundays. We are in the middle of a a series, a sermon series on the book of Acts. Before we get into our passage this morning, let me just remind you where we've been. Last week, Clint was sharing with us about the life of Saul and the conversion of Saul. Saul was a passionate persecutor of the church, really working hard to round up the Jesus followers, to arrest them, to make sure that they were punished. He had dedicated himself to that. And as he's on his way to Damascus, with arrest warrants tucked into his coat pocket, or whatever he was wearing at the time, literally on his way to arrest the followers of Jesus, Jesus meets him on the road and introduces himself and says, Saul, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Because God has a plan for Saul. He wants to use that passion. He wants to use that energy. He wants to use that dedication. He just wants to reorient it. He wants to reorient it toward the truth. Because Saul believed he was doing what God wanted him to do. He believed that he was defending the honor of God from those who were following Jesus. And Jesus said, hold on a second. They're right. And so Paul has to Saul has to reorient his life, later Paul. God intervenes in his life to reorient him toward truth. And Saul's immediate reaction is to go and tell everybody what he's learned about Jesus. And so the reaction from the Jewish leaders who have sent him out from Jerusalem is predictable. Are you kidding me? The guy that we just sent to round up the followers of Jesus to arrest them is now one of them? Are you kidding me? And then Saul says, hey, I'm a Jesus follower now, and he comes to the disciples and he says, hey guys, I want to hang out with you because now I know Jesus. And they're like, are you kidding me? You came here to arrest us. You've thrown a bunch of us in prison. We've been beaten because of you, and now you want to be one of us? Are you kidding me? See, Saul, in proclaiming his newfound faith, comes under the attack of the Jewish leadership and they want to kill him. And he wants to join the disciples, but they're afraid that he wants to kill them. And then he goes and he preaches to the Greeks, and they want to kill him. It's it's a confusing time for everybody. They're having a little trouble getting this off the ground, but if you look, I'll read it for you. You don't have to look yet. At the end of the passage that Clint taught us through last week, chapter 9, 31 says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. How many times have we seen this through the book of Acts, that no matter what is happening, God is growing his church. Here's a group of people that it says are walking in the fear of the Lord. They have an appropriate view of God, and they're filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit of God is doing a work in them, and the Spirit of God is doing a work through them, and God is growing his family. God is growing his church. Well, we're going to pause for a moment in the story of Saul this morning as Luke, the author of Acts, is going to talk to us about Peter and what Peter is doing. <clears throat> now you probably know about Peter. You've probably heard about this guy, but what's interesting is we've spent the last number of weeks talking about people like Stephen and talking about people like Philip, and we've made a big point of saying, these guys are not apostles. And what we mean by that is these are not people who walked with God, with Jesus. I mean, these are not people who walked with Jesus. They're not people who saw his ministry firsthand. They were not with him and taught by him personally. They know of him, they're saved, they're serving him, but they didn't walk with him. Well, Peter's different. Peter is an apostle. Peter did walk with Jesus. Peter did witness his ministry firsthand. And Peter's become a pillar of the early church. In fact, Peter's the guy that gives the sermon at Pentecost. Peter's the outspoken apostle, the a pillar, maybe the pillar of the early church. At least in human terms when we talk about people that make up the church. And so Luke this morning is going to highlight a few distinct things that happen in Peter's ministry and he's going to start to talk to us about what Peter is doing while all of these other things are going on. So we're going to look in Acts chapter 9. Before we do that, would you pray with me before we open God's word? Lord, I just pray that as we open your word this morning, that you would speak to us through it, that we would hear clearly what you have to say, what you have to teach us. Lord, as the family of God, we want to know you and we want to hear from you. And so would you make us attentive this morning to your word and help us to understand what it means to be the family of God and what it looks like to be the family of God. We pray this in the name of your son, amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 this morning, but before we do that, I just want to ask you a question. Have you ever experienced something that gets you so excited, like jump out of your seat excited? Um, And then that's followed with something that's so disheartening that you don't know what to do with that excitement anymore. Something so awesome followed by something so not awesome that you're just not sure what to do. Um, If we could go back in our collective memory, way back, just travel back in your mind all the way back to last Sunday. And um, I just wanna show you a brief video. Can we show this clip? Russell in the pocket. Russell for Curse, and it's broken up again. And is it? But somehow did he wind up with a football? I think Butler hit it, and it fell right back down to the ground. Unbelievable.
1: That's exactly what happened, isn't it?
0: Well, Curse goes for it. It's still not on the ground, it's still uh-huh. not on the ground, it's still, well, look at that. Oh my, god, I can't Butler. believe he didn't get up and get the end zone in time. And then Butler takes him out, so he breaks up the play, but at the end of the day, look at that, does a juggling act, has it the five first and <laughs> goal, 33 yards. Unbelievable, right? That's unbelievable. How many of you saw that happen? Okay, most, most. <clears throat> So, yeah, maybe one of the most amazing catches you'll ever see in the biggest game of the year in front of the largest audience ever, a worldwide massive audience. And unless you've been under a rock for the last week, you know what followed that was maybe the most unbelievable, most unlikely turnover maybe the most surprising interception in the history of football. And if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, and I know we have a few here this morning, I've already apologized in advance to at least one of them. Kerry. <laughs> <Carrie. laughs> if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, you went from the highest high to the lowest low in like 34 seconds. And you're also thinking, well, thank you for bringing that up. And um, <laughs> where are you going with this? Because I thought we were talking about the book of Acts this morning. And we are. We are talking about the book of Acts. Today we're going to look at some unbelievable miracles. Unbelievable miracles that are performed in the name of Jesus through Peter that are just, they're mind-boggling. And But the thing is, the two people that we're going to see today, we're going to see Aeneas, who's been paralyzed. We're going to see him healed, walking around. We're going to see Tabitha, who dies, brought back to life, walking around. But guess what? Aeneas and Tabitha are both dead. Today, they're dead. So what was the point of these amazing miracles? Because it was unbelievable, and then they still died, right? So we spend all this time, and Luke spends all this time recording these miracles, and we spend all this time focusing on these miracles in Scripture. These people are healed or even brought back to life, and then they're dead again. What was the point of that? That's what we're going to look at this morning. So turn with me now, if you would, to Acts chapter 9. I know that's a long lead up. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible this morning, we have some here for you. You're welcome to grab them out of the baskets here on the aisle. Or if you just raise your hand, we'll pass one down to you if you want one. You can just listen along as well, that's fine. But if you don't have a copy of God's word, we would love for you to have one of these. So whether you get it now or whether you get it at the end of the service, you're welcome to take that home with you as our gift to you. We're gonna be in Acts chapter nine. We're gonna pick up right where Clint left off last week. So we're gonna start in verse 32. Acts chapter nine, verse 32 says this. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, He came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So Peter is traveling from village to village. He's sharing the gospel with people who don't know the gospel. And it says he comes to the saints. Who are the saints? Like a a group of super special Christians No. When it talks about the saints, it's just talking about the believers, the people who already believe. So as much time as we spend talking about sharing the gospel with people who don't know it, Peter takes time out while he's doing that to go and be with the believers who were there, to encourage them, to be with them, to teach them. And it says in verse 33, there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. Think about this for a minute, because we can read these enough that this becomes rote. For us. Here's a man who has been laying there for eight years. That means there have to be a network of people, family or friends or both, who have been caring for Aeneas for eight years. They're among the believers in Lydda. And this guy walks in, and maybe they know who he is because Peter's very well known. Maybe he doesn't know who he is. And he walks in and he says, Aeneas, Jesus makes you better. Get up. And it's over. Eight years of laying there is over, and he gets up, and he walks around. Isn't that unbelievable? Amazing. Verse 35 says, And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So Peter heals Aeneas through the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And look at what happens. People turn to Jesus, not to Peter, Peter's made it very clear. He does the healing in the name of Jesus. It's very clear that his message is about Jesus because when he does this, people turn to Jesus. The point, though, is not that Aeneas is healed. For Aeneas, for his family, for his friends, this is unbelievable. This is life-changing. This is miraculous. And certainly, it's a blessing from God. But the point of this is not that Aeneas has been healed. What is the point? The point is that the healing displays the power of God. It confirms the message and the name of Jesus. The point is that Aeneas is now a walking billboard for the power of Jesus Christ. He is a walking advertisement for Jesus. Because look at what happens as a result of his healing. It's not just that he's healed. It's that everybody knows he was healed and everybody knows how. Everybody knows whose name has the power to heal. Luke continues the story in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. So if I'm Tabitha, I just go with that. I just don't translate it. (laughs) She was full of good works and acts of charity, and in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. See, the family of believers in Joppa is in crisis. They have lost a friend, they have lost a sister, they have lost someone that has been deeply invested in their family. We're gonna see as the story unfolds just how Deeply, she is invested. And so they hear that Peter is nearby and they reach out to Peter. They say, please come and be with us. Our family is hurting. And so Peter comes. Now, I don't know what their expectation is. I don't anticipate that they would expect that Peter would come and bring her back to life. I think they're reaching out to Peter because he's known, because he's a pillar, because he's a patriarch, and because they're hurting and they need someone to come and give them comfort. And Peter goes, and he cares for them. Where else have we seen this modeled? Where else do we see someone who's willing to respond to God's family in time of crisis or to people in time of crisis? We see this all the time in the life of Jesus. All the time that people would come to him in crisis with need, either for healing or for comfort, and Jesus would go. Even sometimes when the disciples would protest, Jesus would say, no, no. We're going to go. We're going to do this. And so Peter has seen this modeled time and time again in the person of Jesus. And remember, we said that the book of Acts is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through his church. And so Peter is continuing the ministry of Jesus. It continues, it says, and when when he arrived, they took him to the upper room and all the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. It seems that her ministry, at least in part, was a ministry to widows. And it also seems that Tabitha was so deeply invested in this community that she's not, they're not just sad that she's gone. They are distressed that she's gone. And when Peter comes, they're showing him all that she had done for them. Look what she made for us. Look how she cared for us. Look how she loved us. This is why we're hurting. This is why we're so sad. Verse 40, but Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up and then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Okay, even in scripture, this is rare. We rarely see something like this happen. This is unbelievable. We run out of adjectives for this. But you can imagine if you're there, you can imagine the last time you've been at a memorial service, if something like this were to happen, everyone would know about it. In fact, it'd be hard to talk about anything else for the rest of your life. But you might recall in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 8, when Jesus heals a 12-year-old girl about the age of my oldest daughter, and she's sick, and Jesus is asked to come, and she dies before he can get there. And they say, never mind. You don't need to come. She's already dead. He said, oh, I'll come anyway. And when he shows up, he brings her back to life. There are five people in the room when she's brought back to life. Two of them are her parents. One of them is Peter. Peter has seen this happen before. Almost this exact thing. In fact, what's really amazing, the woman in Acts chapter nine, her name is Tabitha. The little girl is Talitha. The command to raise her back to life is almost exactly the same as the one that Jesus gives. Change one letter, and it's just what Jesus did. He's seen this before. And Peter's not looking for an audience. Remember, he's so careful to give credit where credit is due. People are not turning to Peter. He's not displaying the power of Peter. He's displaying the power of God. And so he excuses everyone from the room. Don't need an audience. He humbles himself before God. Says he gets down on his knees. He prays to God. And then he tells her, Tabitha, arise. And she opens her eyes. It's this very kind of deliberate explanation by Luke. She opens her eyes. She sees Peter. Probably thinking, this is strange. She sits up. He gives her his hand He helps her up to her feet, and then he brings everybody in. Wow. Just think about it for a minute. What has been done here? Verse 42 says this, exactly as we would expect, and it became known throughout all Joppa. Yeah, no kidding. And many believed in the Lord, and Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon. Look at the result of the healing of Tabitha. Many come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the point. As Peter cares for the family of God, people are drawn in to the family of God. As God heals and as God restores, people outside of God's family are forced to ask themselves, what is going on in there? Who has the power to raise a man who's been paralyzed for eight years and make him walk again? Who has the power over death itself to raise a woman back to life? And knowing Peter, who's not exactly shy, he's going to be quick and loud to proclaim who has the power to do this. I'll tell you who has the power to do it. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, who has come to save. That's Peter's message. And as we have seen over and over again through the book of Acts, ordinary people equipped with this irresistible message doing extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see Peter go from village to village telling people the good news about Jesus, about who he is, about why he came, about how he died, about how he came back to life, how he demonstrated power over sin and death. And then we see him coming to care for the believers, performing miracles in the name of Jesus, caring for the family of God. And we see God continue to validate the ministry that's being done in the name of his son. That's what we're seeing unfold in the book of Acts. It's possible that through nine chapters of Acts, we're starting to get a little desensitized to the miraculous work that God is doing. It is possible that it's starting to escape our notice just how unbelievable this is, what God has been doing in and around the early church. But what was the question that we asked at the beginning? What is the point of doing this? Why does God do this, especially to believers? I have to think if I'm Tabitha, I'm actually a little bummed. Because if you're a believer and you're dying, you're like, great, I'm gonna be with Jesus. And all this will be behind me and I'm gonna be with the Lord. And in Tabitha's case, God says, nope, I wanna display my power in you and I've got a little more work for you to do. Before you go, It's like, oh man, I'm ready. We sing a song like we just sang before I came up here and it's like, I'm ready, come Jesus, I'm ready to go. I wanna be with you, let's get out of here, right? I mean, I love you guys, I love my family, but I'm ready to be with the Lord. Why does he do this? And what was the point? The point is to put on display the awesome power of God. The point is to validate the name God of Jesus. Jesus, the one who offers salvation, the one that wants to display his power to draw those people in who are not a part of God's family. That's the point. The people would be drawn in. The people would say, what is going on? And can I be a part of it? And the answer is yes, you can. Many of us, probably most of us, already know this. We already understand that God has the power to heal. We already understand that God has the power to do the miraculous. Some of you in this room have probably seen it and can testify to that. It's a good reminder to us of his ability to overcome sin and it's a good reminder to us of his ability to overcome death because even as believers, we can get trapped in sin, we can get overwhelmed by sin and we can feel powerless to fight against it. This is a good reminder for us. God has the power to overcome that. That power is available to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. Who's going to come alongside of these families that are having babies, maybe for the first time, many for the first time? Who's going to help them? Who will care for them? I think about these parents dedicating their homes to love Jesus and display that for their kids. Who's going to pray for them? The family of God. We are to do that. As the family of God. The family of God cares because, the second thing, because the family of God hurts. Aeneas and Tabitha are both followers of Jesus. But Aeneas has been sick and paralyzed for eight years and Tabitha gets so sick she dies. Believing in Jesus does not alleviate us from pain. It doesn't alleviate illness or disease. Believing in Jesus doesn't protect us from everything. It doesn't protect us from heartache or hardship or difficult times. In many cases, a life that's devoted to Jesus is actually harder and brings more discomfort and more pain than one that isn't. God has the power to heal. God has the power to remove discomfort. He has the power to remove illness and disease, but he's under no obligation to do it. And for us as the family of God, we have to understand that sometimes we are going to hurt. And that is a reminder to us that we live in a broken world that is distorted by sin. And who has the power to overcome that? Well, that's the third thing, right? The family of God cares because the family of God hurts. But the difference for those that follow Jesus is that the family of God hopes. There is hope within the family of God that is not available anywhere else. Our hope is not for healing like Aeneas. Our hope is not even to get a second chance at life like Tabitha. Our hope is in something far better. Our hope is for something far greater than any of those things because our hope is in God. Our hope is placed in the truth that he has the power to overcome our sin, to overcome even death itself, and invite us into eternal relationship with him. Peter has written on this exact topic in the book of 1 Peter chapter one, probably one of my favorite, favorite books in the Bible. Would you just listen as I read this? If you need to close your eyes, that's fine. Listen as I read this from the mouth of Peter as he writes. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Peter says, we live with great hope and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. The very power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is protecting you until the day of salvation. That's what Peter's saying. So he says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while heartache and pain and illness and death. (coughs) These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than just gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Those are the words of Peter. And I would just say to our family here this morning, there will be a day when we stand before God in all of his glory. There will be a day when everyone in this room, whether you know him or not, will stand before Almighty God. And on that day, all of the trials and the tribulations of this life will be a distant memory. We will not be thinking about those things. We won't be worried about those things, and we won't be asking any questions about them. All the pain, all the struggle, all the hardship, all the heartache will fade away in the presence of Almighty God. Because while we might have to endure some trials here for a little while, we can claim a priceless inheritance that no one can ever take away. That is the hope of the believer. That is the hope of those who are called children of God. It's the hope of a God who's made a way for us to be with him. It's the hope of a God who said, I can save you and I will save you and I've done the work to make that happen. And now I invite you into my family. And so it's on you what will you do? The point is to demonstrate the awesome power of God to validate the message of his son so that we might know and understand the power of God to rescue us. This morning you have a connection card. Joe pointed that out on your worship folder. Would you take that out just for a moment? Some of you are here today and you're hearing this And you don't know the Lord. You don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with him. You're not claiming to be a part of his family. You've heard about him. You've just never surrendered your life to him. And if you would surrender to him, if you would place your trust in him, if you would give your life to him, if you would follow him, he offers that same hope to you. That same hope that Peter declares is offered to you. He invites you into that. And I would just say, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, would you you consider that today? That maybe today is the day that you need to make that decision and say, I will give my life to Jesus and I will embrace that hope and I will live a life of hope as one who's called a child of God. You can come up and talk with us afterward. You can mark it on your card there. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I need that hope in my life We would love to talk to you about that. For those of you who are in the room this morning who know the Lord, you are followers of Jesus. Some of you this morning are hurting. You come in this morning and you're feeling the weight of living in a broken and distorted world that's twisted by sin and you're grieving a loss or you're grieving illness or you're distressed. We'd love to pray with you For those things. You can mark that on your card. You can write down your prayer request. You can come on Tuesday night. Our overseers and our deacons will be at our Whittier Hills campus and we will pray for you, whether you're there or not. But we would just invite you to come. Let us pray with you. Let us share in that with you. And I would just say for the children of God that are here this morning as part of this family don't lose hope in your hurt. You may be deeply hurting this morning but don't lose hope. Don't allow your pain and your heartache to blind you from the truth of the gospel that you are saved. You are saved from a broken world and we worship a God who has overcome sin and death. And as Saul, later Paul, will write, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to spend the remainder of our time together this morning praising God in light of what we've heard this morning. We're going to spend some time in worship. And I would just say, for those of you who know Jesus, here's what I would ask Would you sing like someone who has great hope and great expectation? And would you sing to the one who gives you that hope? Because that's what we do when we worship together. So I would just ask whether you need to kneel or stand or sit or pray, would you worship a God who gives great hope and great expectation this morning? Because I think he deserves that from us. Amen? Let's worship.